awesome journey. Always a great privilege to get to see you and be with you and to share God's word with you. We're in the second week of our message series that we're calling The Way of Jesus, Radical Love and Action. And just to be right up front, the reason that we're doing this series is that we want you to understand who Journey is and what we're about. What are the things that matter to us? And our mission statement is simply this. We lead people to radical love and action like Jesus. And we're going to pay particular attention to those last two words, like Jesus. Because I want you to understand that for us, that defines discipleship for us. We believe that what discipleship means is that we, as a spiritual family, we learn to become like Jesus. We walk in his footsteps and we learn to integrate and imitate his life. But how do we do that in 2017 in the middle of Montana? What does that look like for us? That's what this series is about, the way of Jesus. So throughout this series, we're going to just be looking head on into the life and ministry of Jesus and asking ourselves, what does it look like to become like him? And today we're going to look at this idea that Jesus calls us to follow him. Not just follow him on Twitter or Instagram, but really to follow him. And what does that mean? What is it that he's inviting us into and how do we follow him? About a year before I graduated from college, uh, it was a big summer for me. At the end of that summer, I was gonna get married. Uh, But as, as exciting as that piece of it was, there was a lot of stress because I was just thinking, the reality was, is that I've got to figure out how to provide for a family. Now, it was just going to be Carmen and me, but I've got to figure out how to provide for my family, and I've got to figure out how to pay for school. So as I'm heading into that summer, I'm just thinking, I need to get an amazing internship. That was my goal, was to get an engineering internship. But there were some challenging things going on in the economy in the early 90s. Uh, Jobs were a little bit scarce, a little bit different than it is uh, right now. Oftentimes in engineering, there's lots of opportunity, but that wasn't the case back then. But there was also this other thing that was going on in my life, in Carmen's life. We just felt almost for certain that God was tapping us on the shoulder and asking us to consider, would you walk into vocational ministry with us? Would you go into ministry? As we began to evaluate that and think about it, it just felt like it was so wrought with uncertainty. And I mean, I'd only been a believer for a couple of years. I just felt like I'm just a brand new believer. Am I even acceptable to go into ministry? And I started to look at my past. I didn't have this squeaky clean past. Is that going to make me qualified for ministry? And then I started to think about the reality that it's going to mean that I have to go out and raise money. It wasn't like there were just ministry jobs out there that people were going to pay. I actually had to go raise money, convince people that God had called us to do this. And would you invest in us to bring God's kingdom to college students? It just seemed so uncertain. But I just kept thinking that that's a year away. I don't have to worry about that for another year. Now I just need to get a job so that I can pay for school and support my family. Well, I'd interviewed with a couple of different companies and then I got a call from one of them and I was so excited to get the call back. And he said, we want to hire you. But then he said, there's a little twist to it. He didn't say there was a little twist, but there was a little twist to it. He said, we don't want to hire you for an internship this summer. We want to hire you for a full-time position. 
And then my mind just started to spin a little bit because I'm just thinking, I don't think he understands. So I said, wait a minute, I think that you're confused. I'm actually not done with college yet. I still have another year of college before I have my degree. And he said, we understand that. What we would like to do is we would like to have you sign on as a full-time employee and then we'll let you go to Bozeman and we'll pay for all of your school for this next year, all of your expenses associated with school in addition to your salary. You just need to commit to come and work for us. I sat there on the phone and this is what I thought. I didn't know about the easy button then, but you've all seen the easy button. It just seemed like all the things that I was stressed about, all the things that were uncertain about the future, All I had to do was be on the phone with this guy. And just so you know, this is how big phones were back in the early 90s. So this is an accurate portrayal. All I needed to do was just say, yes. Everything would be taken care of. But what did I do with this other invitation that was over here? This invitation from Jesus to be a part of what he was doing in the world. As I sat there on the phone, it was almost like, what am I going to do? Am I going to hit the easy button or am I going to hit the yes button that says, Jesus, I will follow you anywhere. I'll be anyone. I'll do anything that you ask me to be. I just stood there on the phone and in a matter of seconds, I was at a crossroads thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Is it going to be worth it? Will it be worth it to follow Jesus? If you follow Jesus for any time at all, you know that these kind of invitations in our life are pretty regular. Some of them are bigger than others. This was kind of a directional decision in life, but you know what it's like. Jesus is constantly bringing us to a crossroads where we have to ask the question, am I gonna take the the easy way or am I gonna follow him no matter what that means? Am I gonna hit the easy button or am I gonna follow him? A couple weeks ago, Chris Townley shared one of those crossroad moments for some of the earliest followers of Jesus back in Matthew chapter four. He threw out an incredible invitation to them. Come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. This incredible invitation to follow him. And they had to make a decision. What am I gonna do? And they dropped their nets and they followed him. Even with all the uncertainty, they followed him. And then it was amazing what Jesus began to do. Miracles. Kingdom breakthrough. These disciples, these men and women that were following him, they were seeing amazing things happen. I imagine there was incredible excitement. But then Jesus takes them to another crossroads. He takes them to another place past Matthew 4 in Matthew chapter 16. What Jesus does is that he raises the bar and he takes them to another crossroads in their life. And this was an incredible curveball to these men and women. Here's the picture that we're gonna be looking at. Matthew chapter 16, this is a description of the curveball that Jesus threw to his disciples. Matthew 16, starting verse 21, it says, from that time on, Jesus began. That signals something to us. It means that something different is gonna happen right now. There's a way that Jesus has been talking with them and relating to them, but from now on, there's gonna be something different that is gonna happen. He began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer. Suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day, be raised to life. See, what Jesus is doing right here is he starts to tip his hand a little bit. 
to try to help them understand the bigger picture of the kingdom. Part of it that they didn't understand up until that point is that the way of Jesus, if we're gonna follow the way of Jesus, that radical love and action, it's gonna involve suffering. And for Jesus, it was gonna involve death. Jesus starts to tip his hand that the way of the kingdom, the way up in the kingdom is the way down. And just try to imagine what it would have been like to be one of those disciples that were standing there listening to Jesus say this. I mean, this isn't what they've experienced because they're saying, Jesus, it is amazing what has been going on. This just doesn't sound right. Remember, Jesus, you've already taught us. You are God in the flesh. You are the Messiah. The Father has given all power and authority to you. And Jesus, we've been watching it. We've been watching the displays of power and authority wherever you go. Jesus, the wind and the waves, they obey you. You say shut up and the storm's quiet. The weather listens to you, Jesus. Jesus, you heal people. You heal people physically. You heal people emotionally, spiritually, just at a touch. Jesus, you're changing everything. Blind people, just from your touch. People that have been blind their whole life, now suddenly they see and Jesus, in case you didn't know it, they're probably thinking, you're wicked smart. We watch how you engage with the smartest people, the religious leaders of our time, and they leave and they're just, they're baffled. They're scratching their heads. Jesus, let's just keep this going. Let's just keep the trajectory that we're on, up and to the right. I think every one of those disciples was thinking that. But one of them had the guts to speak up. And you know who it is. It's always the same guy, isn't it? It's Peter. Peter was one of those guys, he didn't lack confidence. But let me tell you this. If you're gonna step up and challenge and get in the face of the Messiah, you better know what you're talking about. But he didn't lack confidence. So Peter pulls Jesus aside and the text says he rebuked him. Verse 22, it continues. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, you shall, this shall never happen to you. And then Jesus responds. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. And you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. See, Jesus is helping Peter understand. You're looking through the wrong lens, Peter. You're only looking at the kingdom through your eyes. And Peter, if you're gonna be the kind of leader that I need you to be in the kingdom, you need to see the kingdom of God through my eyes and my eyes alone. Think about that response from Jesus to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Really? Like, whoa, Jesus. Decaf, maybe. <laughs> Pretty intense. I mean, isn't that such a contrast when we think about the kind of loving things that he would say to the morally compromised of that day, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, gentle words, kindness. Now, now this is just a buddy that's trying to stick up for you. Get behind me, Satan. What in the world is going on in this scene that we need to understand? Let's just look at it just for a second. It says that Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. 
Now, sometimes I've heard people say that Jesus is calling Peter Satan. I don't believe in any way that he is trying to equate Peter to Satan. But what he's seeing is that there's two things going on right now. He's looking and he's hearing the mouth of Peter, but in the just as real, he is hearing the voice of Satan because he knows, he knows what it is that Satan is whispering to Peter. He's whispering to Peter, it's the easy button. This will make this about suffering. Let's try to protect everyone from suffering. Peter, please hit the easy button. Because Jesus knows that this is one of Satan's tools. He wants us to get to try to chase the easy button. He watched in the garden as Satan, the serpent, came up to Eve and he said, did God really say? God's just holding out on you. He's just trying to keep you from becoming like him. Take it and eat it and your eyes will be open and you will be like him. Hit the easy button. It'll be better. Jesus knew what it was like personally to have Satan approach you and bring the easy button to him. In Matthew chapter four, the temptation in the desert, Satan comes to Jesus and he says, I'll give you everything. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world, everything that matters to you. You can just have it. No cross, no death, no suffering. Just bow down and worship me and it's all yours. Jesus, hit the easy button. That's what the evil one is doing with Peter right here. He's trying to convince him that the victory of the kingdom can happen in another way other than suffering. Can we just take a pause just for a second and think about the role of the enemy in this world and in our lives? If he believes, because he did, he can deceive Eve with the easy button. He can deceive Peter with the easy button. And he took his best shot at the son of God with the easy button. You don't think that he's gonna try to bring that same thing into our life? That we would just think, if, it, if I'm gonna follow Jesus, I'm gonna say no to that, and I'm gonna just take it, take the easy way out. The enemy is gonna bring the easy button to us at every turn. But Jesus is trying to help his disciples understand, this is my way. The way of my kingdom. Victory and kingdom breakthrough, it comes through things like humility. It comes through things like brokenness, through things like vulnerability, like things like suffering. And in the case of Jesus, even death. Jesus is trying to let his disciples know, friends, there is no easy button. Why was this so important for Jesus to make sure that they understood that pain, suffering, vulnerability, brokenness in this world is the way of the kingdom? Here's why I think this is so important. Because we would, be we would tend to become confused, in my opinion, and not understand the way of the kingdom as suffering came to us. Because if we assumed, had this belief that everything is always gonna be okay for the sake of the kingdom. When suffering came our way and suffering will come our way, either in our lives personally or in the lives of people around us, we would tend to believe that God has left me. I'm alone, I'm abandoned. 
But Jesus wants us to know, no, this is the way of the kingdom. Or we would be tend to believe that I've done something wrong. I've done something wrong and God is punishing me. And here's what makes it, in my opinion, even more confusing. Is that probably all across our country today, there will be people standing on stages like this, communicating things. Like, if you follow Jesus, everything is going to be all right. Suffering should not be expected. In fact, all of us, we should have all the blessings of the world. We should have wealth. We should have health. Anything apart from that is wrong. I love how Tim Keller says it. He says, the essence of Christian immaturity is the belief that Jesus Christ suffered so that I wouldn't have to. Now, Jesus did take the biggest thing off of our back, the fear of death, the fear of separation from God. He did take that for us, but he didn't remove from us a life of suffering. In fact, he wants us to experience him in the midst of our suffering. He invites us to be with him in our suffering. He doesn't want us to be confused about the reality of suffering, but he wants us to learn how to enter into suffering with him. And so he tells us, as he continues on in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, the scripture says this, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, whoever loses their life for me, with me, because of me, for my sake, you will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Now, I got to be honest, you, you listen to that and it just feels like Jesus just dropped some heavy things on us right there. If you want to follow me, it means that you need to learn to deny yourself, take up your cross. So sometimes we use that term, taking up your cross, as just some kind of a burden or inconvenience of life. That is not what Jesus was talking about here. Everyone that heard him say this, when they heard the word cross, they thought Roman crucifixion, the most horrible, painful death that anyone could experience. Jesus says, take up your cross and lose your life. Here's the question that I think some of us ask when we hear that. What is it exactly that Jesus is asking us to do there? Is he asking me in some way to give up who I am? To give up who I am as a person? My, my personality? My uniqueness? My identity? Is, is he asking me to come, become some kind of a religious clone that we all just kind of like march together and do the same thing? Is that what Jesus is asking us to do? Not at all. In fact, Jesus, more than anything, he wants you not to become a clone, but he wants you to actually become your true self, who you were actually created to be. But what he's saying is the path to that is through suffering and surrender, following him no matter what. Because Jesus, friends, he's the one who made us. He's the one who knit us together in our mother's womb. He, of all people, 
He knows who you were created to be. And so he says, follow me. Follow me into whatever I'm asking you to do. And you're not gonna lose your life. You're actually gonna find your life. You're actually gonna find your true life, who you were created to be. I wanna read this same text of scripture in Eugene Peterson's The Message. I just love how he paraphrased it because he captures this idea that Jesus wants us to be not a clone, but our true self. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way to finding yourself, your true self. That's what you're gonna find, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? This is the message Jesus is giving us. Losing your life, remember those two words, for him, losing your life for him, with him, because of him, for his sake, actually will produce your true self, who you really are. Follow him wherever it is that he invites you to go and whatever that means. How does it create that? How does following Jesus help us get to our true self? When we follow Jesus, when we surrender our life to him, we come into an environment and a relationship with him as his child of absolute acceptance, of unconditional love. He loves you. And the more that we know that, and the more that we know that nothing can change that, you know what that allows us to do? That actually allows us to look at inside of ourselves. And look at the things that aren't our true self, our brokenness, the garbage that lives within us, the things that need to change, the brokenness within us. And we can actually look at that. We can actually let the light of God shine on that and it doesn't wreck us because we know our position with him is secure. We are loved by him. And you know what else it frees us from? We don't have to worry about what everybody else on the planet thinks about us. It frees us from the opinions of other people. Have you ever thought about how much energy we spend sometimes thinking about what other people are thinking about us? Trying to manage their opinions of us? Trying to manage their expectations of us? I can stand up here as a child of God, and just do whatever it is that he's asking me to do. And it doesn't matter to me if you're gonna send me an email that's critical of me. I can look at it, I can evaluate it and see if God has something for me in it, but it doesn't have to wreck me. Because I know the Father says, you are my son. I am pleased with you. There's incredible freedom to become exactly who God created us to be. And following Jesus, it means that we can let go of some of our small dreams in this life 
and take a bigger vision for what it is that God would want to do in our life. Our life can be about something other than us. And when we follow Jesus, he says, I'm gonna make your life about people. Come, follow me, and I'll teach you how to fish for people. People suddenly become bigger in our lives because it's not about us. We start to move toward people, all people, people that are different than us, that don't think like us, that don't act like us, but we value them because God values them. Our life can be about something bigger than us. And we start to radically think about how do we enter into the suffering of this world? When when I'm talking about suffering, I wanna make sure that I make this clear. I'm not just talking about the personal suffering that comes to us because you might be in a place in life right now where you're thinking, you know, life is pretty good. I kinda got it going on. There's just not a lot of things that are tough in my life. But this is what Jesus would say. We enter into suffering of this world Even if it's not our personal suffering, we enter into the suffering of this world, into the suffering of others. And we get our arms around them and we encourage them and we walk with them. So we even start to feel the suffering around us. That is the way of Jesus. We don't run from that. We move toward it. But Jesus makes it really clear. If we're gonna find this true self, we gotta let go of our life. We gotta let go. I saw this video and I've shared this before, but I just felt like I had to share it again. Do you know how to catch a monkey? Have you ever thought about how to catch a monkey? There's an awesome video on YouTube on how to catch a monkey. It's the most amazing thing. It's actually quite simple. All you need to do is have something that the monkey finds attractive. And this is what you do. You create something with a small hole in it and you put that thing, whatever it is that the monkey wants, you put it behind that small opening. And here's what the monkey will do. When he sees you do that, he will go over to what it is and he'll work his hand through that hole and get in there and grab a hold of whatever it is that he wants. And as soon as he's got a hold of it, the guy that's trying to trap him, he just starts walking over to the monkey. Now the monkey just starts going absolutely ballistic Just crazy because he's scared to death. This guy's gonna come take my life. He's gonna take my freedom. And that's exactly what he's gonna do. And that's exactly what he does. But you're just thinking, monkey, all you gotta do is let go. Just let go. Stupid monkeys. (laughs) But let's just be reflective just for a minute. Can we be just like those monkeys? Do we have this picture of what life is gonna be about? Whether it's money, power, popularity, sex, whatever it is. We think that's what's gonna bring life to me. And we try to grab a hold of it, but it's costing us our life. We think it's the easy button, but Jesus says there's another way. Come, follow me, say yes to me, let go of those things that you think are bringing you life. What are those things for you? Would you be able to identify it right now that you just know in your heart of heart, there's these things. I know it would be so smart 
for me to let go of these in order to follow Christ, but I just can't let go. What are those things? It's probably different for every one of us, but this is what I do know. I know that he knows what it is for you. And I think the best thing that we can do is just ask him, God, what is it for me? Is there something in my life? Maybe I don't even realize it right now, but I am so focused on this and trying to grab a hold of this that it's choking out my life with you. Don't be a stupid monkey. Be willing to let go. But why is that so hard? Even if we know what it is that is choking out our life, why is it so hard to let go of those things? Here's part of what I think it is. I think the question that goes through our mind as we're trying to grab a hold of these things, as we're looking at the possibilities out here of what it might mean to follow Jesus wholeheartedly in absolutely, absolute surrender into whatever it is he's asking us to do, we look at that and there's a question that comes in our mind. And the question is, is it worth it? Is it gonna be worth it? And we're trying to leverage this cost-benefit analysis and we're asking ourselves, is it worth it? And I think so many times we look at the potential of what might be out there and we just say, no, I don't think it is worth it. And we keep holding on to this over here. I heard this video, an interview with this lifelong missionary. Her name was Helen Rosevere. And this interviewer was asking her about her experience as a missionary. And she went through hardship. Incredible hardship, incredible beatings, incredible abuse. As you thought about it, you just thought, how in the world would she have stayed true and persevered through all of that? And as the interviewer was asking her the question, he wanted her to answer that question, is it worth it? Was it worth it for you to do that? And I loved her response. I want you to hear it. She said, Leading into her response, she just said, if you're always asking the question, is it worth it? You're gonna end up in a different spot. She said, that was the question I asked most of my life. But she says, if you always ask, is it worth it? You will come today and say, no, the cost is too high. I am not prepared to pay it. But if we ask today instead, is he worthy? the answer will be yes. Instead of seeing the cost, you will see the privilege. If the question that we're asking is looking out at the potential of what it might mean to follow wholeheartedly after Jesus, if we're looking at that and we're asking the question, is it worth it? We're probably gonna say no. We're probably gonna wanna just push the easy button. But if our question is different, if our question is, is he worthy? Is he worthy of our life? Friends, the answer will always, always be yes. He is worthy. The one thing that I love about Jesus is that he never asks us to do something that he himself was not willing to do. We see Jesus wrestling with the same kind of decision between the easy button and the yes button in his life. We see that in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
As Jesus is looking ahead in his life, he's looking ahead to the cross. He's looking to what that's going to mean. Not just the physical aspects of being crucified, but infinitely worse than that. The reality that he in his humanity is going to take upon himself the wrath of God for the sin of the world. All of the sin, the guilt, and the shame of the world on me. And Jesus looked at that. And he stood before the Father and he prayed. And this is what he said. He said, my Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. You could see that Jesus was looking at what was ahead of him. And there was something in him that just said, is there an easy button? God, is there an easy button in this? But the next words out of his mouth, he said, yet not as I will, but as you will. There was a yes button. There was a yes button that he was willing to hit. And here's what I love. I love that the scriptures tell us a little bit about what was going on in the heart and mind of Jesus that gave him the courage to not hit the easy button and to hit the yes button. And the writer of Hebrews helps us understand that. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse one. It takes me a little while to get there, but we'll get there. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. He's saying, let go. Let go. Don't be a stupid monkey. Let go of all those things that would trip us up and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And here's the the point. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Here's the punchline. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. As Jesus looked toward the suffering of the cross, it says that he saw something else. He saw something else that brought him joy. What was it that Jesus saw that brought him joy? It was us. It was us. It was the picture of what the cross was going to accomplish. It meant that there was going to be eternity with those that would choose to bow their knee before him. And he looked at that, the weight of the cross, and he looked at us and he says, it's worth it. It's worth giving my life for them. And here's what the writer of Hebrews says. This is what we need to understand is that we need to fix our eyes on him. Not the suffering of this world, not the things that Jesus is inviting us into or might invite us into. He says, fix your eyes on him. Because the question is never, is it worth it? The question is always, is he worthy? Friends, he's worthy. He's worthy to say yes to anything that he would ask us to do. He's worthy. I want to ask you just to set your things aside and I want to give you a moment, a time of reflection, a time to process with him. God, what is it that you're saying to me? And what is it that you would want me to do about it? How do you want me to respond to your worthiness?
Jesus, we just want to humble ourselves before you right now and just simply declare you are worthy. You are absolutely worthy. You're worthy of our life. You're worthy of our future. There's nothing too great that you could ask of us. Jesus, you are worthy. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.